Hello and welcome to Clean Processes with Jerry. This is a podcast dedicated to building an online community of like-minded individuals and businesses in the cleaning industry. We will share ideas, tips, and solutions to solve problems and expand our markets. Please join me every week when we introduce a special guest that just might be you. I'm a 40-year veteran of the chemical industry, specifically dealing with food, beverage, and hospitality. I work for the largest refillable chemical company called ChemStation, where I'm based out of Boston, and run the blog Hospitality Cleaning 101. Today, we have Andy Reese of PFG. This is a food distributor. Hey, Jerry, thanks for having me. Uh, not quite a 40-year industry, but I've, I've been in the chemical industry now about 15 years. So, and that kind of evolved from, you know, I started in the Jansan industry and then that evolved into full line chemicals. And then I did some independent sales and service. Then I went on to run some chemical and beverage teams and then ran another service team for diversity. And then currently I'm with Performance Food Service as the beverage and chemical manager for the Eastern Pennsylvania market. And how large is the Eastern Pennsylvania market? I mean, you, you, you do more than just Eastern Pennsylvania. Yeah. So Eastern Pennsylvania is just kind of a designation for our operating company. Uh, we go as far as Geneva, New York. Uh, we go all the way down to actually, technically we operate in seven states, but some of that's a mix of chain and national business. And then street business is more of a core focus to the three state area of New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and a little bit of Maryland. And do you come all the way into New York City? We do not go that far east. So we're cut off as probably... I would well at one point in time we were outside the five boroughs, uh, but we've consolidated a little bit so that we can tighten up our markets. So we're more central and northern New York at this point in time, just because that 81 corridor runs right up and down and right. it gives us some efficiencies. Right. So how did you get into this business initially? Did you work in a restaurant at all? <laughs> so my career actually got us 22 years this year. Uh, so I started in McDonald's. Uh, I started at the ripe old age of 14. But by 16, I had made a swing manager position. Uh, by 18, I was a full-time assistant manager. But I also did, so I actually worked for a penalized uh, housing company called Forest Homes. So okay. I was actually a regional, I was a regional sales manager for the state of New York. So I did both jobs for about as long as I could and then focused full-time on the penalized construction industry. But I ultimately ended up leaving that just because there wasn't, uh, wasn't a good long-term fit. And then uh, I still stayed with the sales acumen, but you know, we always joke in food service. It's like a fishing line attached to you. As soon as you start running away, they hook you back and reel you in. <laughs> it's, how, it's how I started. I was a dishwasher. So I, I totally understand. So yep. now I understand because I used to work with different chemical companies, but I did work in the arena with food companies. So you are responsible for, I assume, both in the sales and service within the geographic region. Am I correct? That's correct. So it's it's a little unique, and, and I don't think there's really many other people out there like us. So there's a couple of companies that have beverage and chemical managers. Gordon Food Service is one. Previously, it was Reinhardt Food Service before we were acquired by Performance Food Service, Performance Food Group. So we're actually Reinhardt Legacy Bev Chem, but we're under the performance umbrella. So beverage and chemical managers have a responsibility for category management for sales and service of their specific assigned categories. And for mine being beverage and chemical, that's anything that's dispensed beverage based or anything that's dispensed chemical based. 
So it's a, it's a weird integration because our service trucks are more than what you would see from a traditional chemical company. So instead of having, you know, 300 SKUs of chemical parts and dishwasher parts, we're pushing up to 800, five, between five and 800 SKUs of carrying parts for coffee machines, cappuccino machines, specialty coffee brewers, juice machines, pretty much you name it, we're dabbling in it. Right. Now, how much business is it with the coffee and the chemical? I'm going to just take wild guesses. Coffee, 30%, 20%? So you're actually really close. It's about 33%. So it's it's about a 66-33 split on average. Well, this is a question coming out from the blue, but the coffee equipment, do you use bun coffee equipment at all? Yeah, bun is our, we're, we're a bun certified, we're a bun certified house. So we are factory certified authorized representatives for bun service. And the reason I bring that up, I actually lived in Springfield, Illinois, and that's the home of Bun Capital. I don't know <laughs> if you know, at one time, Bun Capital had their food distributors. Well, they had a satellite business, but now they've sold to, oh, it went to Robert's Foods. Now, I think, I'm not sure. It might be even a PFG now. I'm not sure. It's, it's kind of hard in the last 10 to 20 years to keep a pulse of the different food houses. They have changed. The consolidation continues and it's only getting more aggressive. I mean, performance food service has been on an acquisition spree. We've acquired some smaller businesses down in the South. Reinhardt was the big acquisition back in 2020. And then we actually just bought uh, Cormark, which is a huge acquisition, which branches us out into Canada. And we're currently working on sales and service synergies with that sister acquisition. Do you know offhand how many different units you have or locations, I should say, main locations? Well, with all the additions, it's I, I've lost count. But last count, we were in the 70s and heading north of that very rapidly. So we continue to expand and grow for our national footprint. So going back to what we were talking about before, because I had done some of it, we had a conversation a while back. Running sales as well as service was, the, the example I used was, like a juggler. But if you remember, I've seen a guy once on TV, he was juggling chainsaws and juggling chainsaws and they were running. But it's probably not as hard as you believe because there is a systematic way of one, 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 and it goes like this. But running sales and services like juggling chainsaws with bowling balls, they just aren't the same thing. So tell me what some of the biggest challenges you have with that. So this is something that my wife and I talk about often uh, because <laughs> I imagine so. It's it's a very unique dichotomy between sales and service because the alignment between the two is one of those things where people struggle to do both well, right? right. So usually there, there's a, a favoritism of one side or the other, and trying to get a fifty fifty balance, honestly, is is like asking for a heart attack. Because if I'm out in the field all day managing service operations and sales operations, I get home at night, then I'm on the laptop for five, six, seven hours at night trying to clean up emails, deal with vendor issues. Uh, and as we all know, the supply chain has been such a disaster. Trying to find and source parts has been, that's been my biggest headache. So I'm on websites, tracking down parts, looking for alternatives just so we can keep our customer service and keep their business moving forward. So when you deal with that, you try not to let anything fall through the cracks, right? So your day-to-day operation, you're on the road, your phone's ringing, your service techs need you, there's issues with deliveries, your sales reps are asking to come and help you, or they need item codes, or they need supporting documentation to give to their customers. It is one of the 
most difficult jobs I've ever done. And, you know, I kind of pat myself on the back a little bit because I think anybody who can do this successfully for more than a year, you're good to go. But you got to be able to make it through the first year because you'll just, you'll absolutely stroke out trying to do it all. In what I have heard, and I've seen some, but I want to ask, you know, from a different geographic region, I understand it's harder to find people to do the job as well. In other words, people before I was sold the job of how to do that years ago when I started. But since then, people don't want to do both sales and service. When you hire them, when you bring them on, they're definitely leaning to one versus the other. Do you see that today as well? So I've actually dove into this quite a bit at the psychological level, right? So when you look at somebody who goes into the business of of wanting to be a service technician, their mind is going to work dramatically different than that of a sales professional. So I've always been the rare person where I try to keep my sales and service teams separate, but aligned because my service tech who can tear apart a dish machine and rebuild it in six hours is not the same guy that can go out, sit down with the with the vice president of a chain account and sit down and talk about chemicals and operational efficiency and safety and all of the value statements that you're going to add to these customers when you're working with them. So, you know, I try to maintain the sales side of things. I let my service techs do what they do best. They go out and service our clients. And also because there's no sales attached to it, I'm not commissioning my reps to go out there and sell. So with that, you don't have the some of the other models in the industry where you have service technicians that are dumping product at Christmas time trying to make a Christmas bonus. It, it keeps everybody on the level, keeps them honest and focused. Do you have sales reps or are you just using the people who are selling the food? You don't have any specifically just sales rep who go out and sell chemicals, do you? Besides so yourself? We did. So pre-pandemic, I actually had a product specialist. Okay. Uh, and that is somebody who just, the, all they do is chemical and beverage sales or whatever category they're assigned. I mean, performance food service has multiple levels of different specialists. But for us, a product specialist focused on beverage and chemical sales. And it was their job. Basically, what I'd like to do just for keep a system in place is whenever we bring on a new customer, my product specialist would welcome that customer to the company within three weeks of setting up the account. So they would go out, introduce themselves, let them know who we are, what we do, and let them know how we're here to serve them. And then from there, we open up the door for opportunities for for us to work together. Uh, And if there's no opportunity, there's no opportunity, but we at least want to create that awareness and let our customers know that we have that extension to serve their needs. Okay. So since you brought up, it's obvious, it's still the number one subject today coming out of the pandemic. What challenges have you seen both for yourself as well as the end users. Have you lost a fair amount of restaurants that have closed? Yeah, I mean, we've we've been fortunate because we have a very strong sales team that's been able to continue to grow the business. But yeah, we I mean, our our attrition rate has been pretty high. We've approached almost a 20% loss of business at one point just because of all the restaurants that have closed, have gone out of business, have sold their accounts. Some are looking for cost efficiencies and synergies, whatever it may be, those accounts have gone away. But we continue to grow our footprint and grow our customer base. So we take the good with the bad. And even with the losses, we're still growing. And I think if you look at our, our Q2 performance that Performance Food, Performance Food Group recently released, we're outperforming our competition qu- quite substantially over others. Uh, and part of that is because we focus on people and we believe in people. We, we're not 
you know, the comment was made to George Holmes about uh, how was it said? It was said, your competition is using lots of technology to embrace growth. Why are you not doing that? And the truth is, and he said, he said, truthfully, he said, we are. He said, but our core focus is our people. We invest in our people because this is still a people business. And just like chemical and beverage, I mean, it's still a people business. You know, people want that connection. When people go into a coffee shop or a restaurant, they want that connection and they want to be connected to somebody. They don't want to talk to a robot. They don't want to push buttons on the screen. You know, there are people that literally leave their homes to go out into public to interact with people. And when you disconnect that and you make it all technology-based, you leave the door open for people that can create that emotional connection. Right. Now with PFG, and I don't, I remember the way it was in the Midwest, and I'm not even sure it's how it is nationwide. PFG does not manufacture their own chemicals. Do they have alliances with different people throughout the United States, or do you have one vendor that use more than others for your main line, your main core of chemicals? Yep. So we we have a private label manufacturer that, so we came over from perform. So when Performance Food Service acquired Reinhardt, we had a very large contractual agreement with a uh, private labeling manufacturer that's number two or three spot in the US. Uh, so they're our primary manufacturer of our private label brands, but there are there are other backup suppliers, so to speak. So it's a contingency plan. So if in the event that something bad were to happen with one of our main suppliers, we can have a backup supply source because chemicals is one of those things, just like beverage. If you can't su- supply those items, you're dead in the water because you have all that investment in your service arm. You have all that investment in the, in the equipment and the assets. If you're not selling product, you have no way to cover those. Right. So there has to be contingency plans. And PFG does also lease dish machines as well, correct? Yep. Lease, they lease them, they sell them, uh, they rent them. Uh, there's a multitude of options of how they go to market and what they have available for the customer. So we're, we're just right there with all the other competitors out there. We align pretty much with them. We're very competitive. You know, I'd like to say our service is just a step above the rest when we consider what's going on in the market. I can tell you just, just yesterday, I had a customer call me and say, I've had this machine here for two years and I haven't seen a single soul. And I, and I asked him, I said, you haven't seen anyone? No. I said, have you called anybody? We've called multiple times. I said, and nobody's called you back. Nobody showed up. I said, are you paying your bill in the machine? No. <laughs> I, I, I said, so nobody's called you. The machine's here. You're not getting service. It's just kind of like lost in wonderland. And they said, yeah, pretty much. And this unfortunately has become the norm. Right. It's been crazy what I've seen. Years ago, it got bad when the chemical companies, and you're well aware of this, when they were absorbing or buying out each and other ones, they lost a fair amount of dish machines in that whole process. There's still dish machines out there that people acquired that never paid for them. (laughs) It just happened. I'm just, you know, it just happened. So do you believe we're coming through the supply chain problems or are past us, or do you still having some product problems getting product in? So we we took our lumps on the product side. Uh, I think when COVID blew through all the production issues and shut production lines down for some periods of time, we've gotten through that rough part. So the product supply shortages, at least for me, I can't say the same for all the food industry, right? Right. Because a lot of the, a lot of the big food manufacturers are still in allocations. They're still struggling to keep production levels. But for me on the beverage side and chemical side, the, the biggest issue I struggle with is transportation. 
So if I get something, if I have a big order coming out of the South, it could take days before we get a truck under it just because of the lack of availability of trucking transportation. But what I can say is getting better is the, the material side of things. Like I can tell you uh, just six weeks ago, I was six to eight weeks out on dish tables. Today, I have manufacturers with dish tables in stock that can ship tomorrow. So that's a huge improvement from where we were just six weeks ago. It was the next subject I was going to bring up, the, the trucking. It's, it has been a problem. And I'm not sure I have the answers. It's it's above me, but it's a shame that we're in this situation because a lot of it does come down to trucking. A lot of people believe it's because the products aren't available, but sometimes the products are available. We just can't get them delivered to where we want them. Right. Yep. And it's I think everybody's in that same boat and we're cohesively as a market. Uh, I think we've all endured the worst of it. Transportation. I can say it's getting better. I can tell you that, you know, we were fortunate where we've been able to fully staff our opco. In the past, we've struggled to get workers in that wanted to drive trucks and that wanted to load and unload product. Uh, today, we're at full staffing. You know, I can't tell you there's a lot of companies out there that can say that right now. So we've, we've been blessed in that sense. Right. Now, in Philadelphia, are the restaurants at 80% now? Or are they at 100%? Or what percentage do you feel they're back? Uh, I don't know if they have to wear masks or what. Can you give us an update of what's going on in your geographic region? So Philadelphia has lifted some restrictions. I have not followed that as closely as I followed other places just because our core market is not in Philadelphia. Okay. But I do know restrictions have been lifted in many places. I think there's still a vaccine requirement. I don't quote me on that, but I believe that's in place, which has significantly hurt. If you look at reservation statistics, they're down across the board all through the city of Philadelphia. So that market is still hampered a little bit, but the recovery is coming. And those that have stuck it out will tell you that there's some light at the end of the tunnel. And as long as supply chain holds and they can get customers back in the door, I think we're going to see a decent turnaround. I don't think it's ever going to be the same. You know, we've all said, you know, what's when do we go back to normal? There is no normal, right? That That's in the past. Uh, all we can do is look to the future and look at our opportunities that are in front of us. And right. the people that have endured this and have survived it, they're smarter, they're stronger, and they're better for it, and they're better equipped to handle the future. Now, looking forward, what are you most excited about coming up for, and we're still at the beginning of 2022, what do you see? And it, it could be a product, it could be a new program. What are you the most excited about? Ooh, I'm Just kind come. of excited. To, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to know. <laughs> Yeah. So with us being so, so kind of bound by what we can do with the, with what we're held back from with all the COVID protocols, now that that's starting to lift in many places, I'm looking forward to food shows. I mean, they're always a blast. You get to talk to so many different people, you get so many new ideas. And that's really where you see all the new innovative ideas of what's coming to the market, what's changing. And I think we're going to continue to see innovation. You know, you, you look at what's going on in the market, you know, we've done the same thing for so long that we have to make changes. We have to rebrand ourselves. We have to do things differently and not like we used to, but something totally different ahead of the curve. And you're seeing that in, you know, if you look at the way service teams are going to market right now, you see them embracing technology with their people. So you're getting live videos to your customer. You're getting pictures of, of what they see in the, in the service reports. You're, you're giving your customers a deeper insight to what job and what service you're performing for them. 
So as we continue to embrace technology and be able to give more back to our customers, we allow them to operate uh, from a sense of education. So no more are the days of, well, you're just pulling the wool over my eyes, or you're just telling me I need that because you, you think I need it. No, here's the pictures. Here's where your motor is literally rotting out from the frame. We need to get you a new motor before this thing creates a fire. <laughs> right. You'll pay me now or pay me later. We're coming up to the almost a half hour here. And I, I have one question that I, I want to ask. And you and I, we met on LinkedIn. We are passive cross. We both worked for Swisher for a short period of time. And we had, I guess, met on LinkedIn. We've talked before. And I believe you heard my introduction. We're like-minded. And with that, I have to congratulate you. But can you finish here and take as long as you want with this question? You just recently did a class, a, a program for yourself to elevate yourself. Can you give us all an introduction or tell us what exactly the class you took? And Because I'd be fascinated to know about it. Absolutely. So I will tell you that you know COVID did a number on me personally. Right. And I'm okay to be vulnerable about it and tell you that I went from being a very positive, upbeat person to a bit of a cynical, negative person. And at least I can say I caught it and I acknowledged it. And I remember it was right before Christmas. So I've been a member of the National Association of Sales Professionals now for, I guess I'm going to my fourth year now, which is basically an association that is of like minded people in the sales professional community, but they have a lot of certifying bodies and they employ PhDs and they employ people to really analyze the science behind selling along with the art, right? So they have a program called the Certified Professional Sales Leader or CPSL. Less than 1% of sales leaders will ever commit to that program and do it and, and then graduate from the program. It's a 46 day, well, it's 45, uh, 46 days, your final exam, but it's a 45 day program that starts with the basics. So, you know, for me, when I, when I talked to my wife about this, I said, you know, I need to do something because I'm not who I was and I'm not who I want to be. And I need to change my focus. And it was just what I needed. Cause I actually got a call from an ASP. It was like the 23rd of December. And the guy said to me, he said, Hey, he said, I know you've been interested in our CPSL class. We have one starting uh, December 27th. It'd be really cool if you could make it. And I said, ah, not really the time. I don't, I don't think that's going to work. And I talked to my wife and I said, look, I want to do something. And I think this is good. And she said, well, then do it. She goes, if, if you think it'll help you, then do it. I said, okay. So I went and wrote a check, <laughs> signed up for the class uh, and started the program. And the first day I'm like, I don't know, man, this is a lot of, it's a lot of wishy-washy. Like, yeah, this isn't like real life. Right. Mm-hmm. But I followed the program. I went through creating a, a vision of myself, uh, which the first thing in leadership they teach you is you have to have a vision. And you go through the vision and you and you you have to unconsciously be competent. So we all start as the unconsciously, un, in, unconsciously, let me back up. We are consciously incompetent, right? So when we go from there, so there's four stages of let me get this right here. So there's four stages of performance and you start with inception, deception, transformation, and then you have identity. So we always start in inception where we're excited out of the gate. We want to do something neat and something different. So you take that idea and you run with it. But what happens to 99% of people? They hit a point where it's called deception. And in deception is where you got to fight yourself because you want to revert back to your old way. So you got to fight through that. And everybody goes through it, no matter who you are, you are always going to have the subconscious mind telling you, 
this is too hard. Let's go back to do what we used to do. The important thing is to have a support system in place to get you to fight through deception so you can hit the transformation point. So that is the point where you're consciously competent. Consciously competence goes a long way, but in order to form an identity, you have to become unconsciously competent. And that's when you consider yourself a master of something or the master of yourself. And that is the first part of the program is to get you from inception to identity and then pursuing that throughout the program. And then you have to get to, you have to acknowledge that we all have bad habits, right? So we learn how to do habit corrections, pattern interrupts, habit interrupts. These are things that help you focus yourself to prevent you from doing the things that are going to make you less than stellar leader, right? Right. And you know, as we go through the program, we learned a lot of things. There's an IC4 model where you learn about internal focus and external motivation and the four processes through that. And you learn kind of the, the communication styles of people, the archetypes. You learn about uh, the psychology behind people's needs and, and the hierarchy of communication. And all these things lead you into a point where you can effectively manage and lead people. And you can do it from an educated standpoint. And you can do it from a point of a point of betterment and a point of creating new leaders. Because at the end of the day, leaders have to create leaders. Right. And this program has been everything I needed. I actually had a conversation with my vice president of sales just a couple of days ago. And he said to me, he goes, man, he said, where, where has this Andy Reese been? And I said, he was hiding a little bit, but he's back and he's in the fight. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I applaud you 1000% on this because COVID did a number on all of us. And it might be one of the reasons, and we had spoken during COVID, but it did a number on all of us. It's probably one of the reasons I decided to do the podcast. I had to go outside of my norm. I didn't want to continue doing the same thing. I had to do more research, more ways of helping people. I get ideas. I've always gotten ideas from you. And that's the reason I'm so glad um, you're sharing this time with me. One last thing, how would people get a hold of you if they'd like to reach out for information or PFG or on um, your continued education program? Yeah, so you can reach me. I, I don't mind giving my cell phone out because okay. I welcome phone calls from everybody. My direct line is 570-898-0154. Or you can reach me via email. You can reach me at andrew.reese, that's spelled R-I-E-S, at PFGC, like Performance Food Group Corporation.com. Uh, you can also reach me out on LinkedIn. Uh, if you look, just look up the word soap guy, and you'll find me. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you joining me. It's been a pleasure. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And I hope you have a, a great rest of the day. And let's Thank stay you, in touch. All right. Absolutely. I appreciate your time today. All right. You take care. All right. Thank you, sir. This podcast was designed for exactly what my relationship is with Andy. He is not aware of this. However, he is one of the factors of me starting this podcast in designing this show. My introduction talks about like-minded and getting ideas from one another, and I'm trying to make it even more, and that is insightful. The opinions today were both Andy and mine, and we will be responsible for them. If you have any questions or comments or would like to become a guest, please reach out to me at jerry at hospitalitycleaning101.com. Please also check out 
that same site because it has over 50 blog posts of mine on a variety of topics when it comes to cleaning. Finally, I would also like to thank you, the listener. Please like, share, and subscribe if you enjoyed today's show and what we are trying to design here. Finally, have a great day. Bye.